Welcome to Bear Books for the love of indie. We're here to highlight and amplify self-published authors. Welcome to a flash fiction episode of the Bear Books podcast. We have got four amazing flash fiction stories who are so spoiled. I know. How are you anyway, Daisy? I am absolutely fabulous. Thank you very much. I've had a week away in the sunshine. I've had a really good week at work this week. You've not been sacked yet then? Not yet. Not got to know the real me. I'm working from home. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yes. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. Yes, me. My boss listens to this podcast. Oh, whoops. Oh, well, never mind. <laughs> Thanks. Sorry, Helen. I'm looking forward to this week. It's not very often we have four stories, is it? No, we don't normally do four. We normally have one from each of us when you're bothered to write one and, and our favourite from whatever's in the submission box. But we couldn't decide this time, so we've picked one each and we've got two to read you as well as ours. Yeah, so we've got one coming up from Dean, uh, which I'm going to be reading, and we've got one coming up... Dean Wrigley, that is. Sorry. Yeah, and we've got one coming up from Carolyn Ward-Daniels, which you're going to read, and then we've got mine. But first of all, we've got yours coming up. So come on, chop, chop, get on with it. <laughs> you taskmaster. Absolutely. Fine. <laughs> Buckle up, people. The stories are on their way. This is my contribution to The Dirty Weekend. Well, not the dirty weekend, but the writing prompt of a dirty weekend. <laughs> if you're ready, then. Maggie woke up with the onset of a hangover. She opened her eyes, not recognising the room she was in. It took a second to realise she was in Mark's bed and not at home at all. The images of last night came flooding back. It was the first time she'd stayed at Mark's since they started dating six months ago. A grin lit up her face as she gave a contented little sigh. She wasn't sure whether to wait for Mark to come back to bed or just go and join him out in the kitchen. Then she realised she could hear him talking on the phone. She didn't want to interrupt, so she headed to the bathroom to clean her teeth. She definitely didn't want morning breath when he came back to bed. As she turned to close the bathroom door, she realised the acoustics in the bathroom meant she could now hear his conversation clearly. She headed for the sink to turn on the tap to mute his conversation, but before she got there, she inadvertently caught the tail end of his conversation. So I'm going to take her away for the weekend. It'll be really dirty. I'll let you know how it goes. Oh, I definitely think she'll be surprised, she heard Mark say with a chuckle. See you, matey. Maggie uttered a disappointed and confused, oh. On automatic pilot, she turned on the tap and cleaned her teeth. Her mind was whirring ten to the dozen. Did he think she was easy? Was he being offensive or complimentary? No, no, it was definitely offensive. A dirty weekend implied she was some kind of sex object and he was bragging on the phone about it. What the hell? She left the bathroom and got dressed before heading into the kitchen to join Mark. He looked up from buttering toast and his eyes widened as he saw she was dressed and ready to leave. Oh, you're up. Is everything okay, Maggie? I was just making us some breakfast. He sounded genuinely concerned, which confused Maggie a little, but she remained firm, made her excuses to leave, muttering something about an unexpected work call as she hurried out of the door. As Maggie made her way to the tram stop, 
She didn't know if she was more upset or angry. Bloody men. She called her best friend Julie. Julie was her most practical friend and the most blunt. She could always count on her for an honest opinion. When she'd done explaining, there was silence on the call for a minute while Julie digested everything before giving her considered opinion. So you've been together six months, right, and he's never acted this way before? No, never. That's why I thought we were ready to take it to the next level. He's put no pressure on me and staying over last night. That was my idea, really. OK, said Julie. So playing devil's advocate, this is what I think could be happening. First, he really likes you and the mate he was talking to this morning was taking the piss and Mark felt like he had to respond in kind so he didn't look soft in front of him. OK, maybe, Maggie conceded before Julie continued. Second, maybe what you heard was out of context. There could have been much more complimentary stuff said before you fell into the conversation. Or third, it wasn't about you at all. What? Maggie squeaked. Okay, okay. So lastly then, it's a massive compliment that he thinks you're so incredible after spending one night with you. He wants to whisk you away for the weekend. He's just got a crappy turn of phrase. Maybe you should just enjoy the moment. Maggie leaves things as they are for a few days to think. She likes Mark. Could she be mistaken? When Mark calls to ask her if she'd like to go away for the weekend at the end of the month, he seemed surprisingly nervous, but Maggie didn't think about that. She just agreed to go. No questions asked. The next week is a flurry of plucking, waxing, manicure, pedicure, hairdressers, new lingerie, new clothes. The piece de resistance being the sexiest of all nightgowns, she spent a fortune if she was going to do this, she was out to impress. When Mark arrived to pick Maggie up, to say he was shocked by the change in her was an understatement. He already thought she was perfect. He was definitely punching above his weight. She was intelligent, funny and a stunning natural beauty. She was everything he'd ever dreamed of. His jaw was on the floor. It was a quiet drive, neither one of them saying much, each in a world of their own. Maggie was congratulating herself on a job well done. She felt every inch the sex object she thought he was looking for. She was disappointed that he was so shallow after such an amazing first six months. But she'd show him what he'd be missing. She had every intention of dumping his shallow arse when they got home. Mark was wondering what his parents would think of this alternative version of Maggie. He was taking her to meet them this weekend so they could get to know each other. He thinks Maggie is the one. He's hoping to propose over dinner on Sunday night. When they arrive at the farm, Maggie wonders what the hell is going on. It's hardly a romantic setting for their dirty weekend. An older couple comes to the door to greet them as they're getting out of the car. Mum, Dad, hi, this is Maggie. Mark hugs his parents and his mum turns to smile at Maggie giving her arm a squeeze as she takes her bag from her. Maggie feels completely foolish, not to mention overdressed, as Mark's parents give her a guided tour around the pig farm. That's brilliant. <laughs> I like that. It's such a short ending and a sharp ending. It <laughs> says it all. So she spent all that time after listening to her best mate. Her best mate's given her all this advice. And Mark's taking her to meet his parents on the pig farm. 
Yeah. And she spent all week dressing herself up, titivating herself, all that inappropriate clothing for a weekend on a pig farm. Yeah, I hope somebody else has got some wellies in her size she can borrow. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Going to ruin her new shoes. It's funny, actually, because, again, I was there. I was thinking, oh, this is... Right, OK, so what's going to happen? It's a dirty weekend. They're building up to it, and it's a pig farm. I do like that. That is a brilliant touch. Thank you. Actually, it was quite hard to write because I overran quite a lot. So what did you have to chop out then? I didn't put my word count on when I wrote it at all. I just wrote the story how I wanted it to flow. And then when I moved it across to um, have a look at my word count, I was nearly half again over. I had so many extra words. I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) What am I going to cut out of this? Well, I don't think, I mean, whatever it is that you've cut out hasn't taken anything away from the story and, you know, what you wanted to get across. So it's maybe it's that then that we sometimes authors put words in stories just to pad them out and they're unnecessary. I have to agree in the fact that most of what I took out, if not all of it, if I'm being honest, was my flowery descriptions of the stuff that was going on, how Maggie was feeling, the fact that they were talking at cross-purposes, they've got mixed messages, they're not communicating. But I thought, well, I don't actually need to tell you they're not communicating because it's apparent because they're both on different wavelengths completely. I don't need to explain that to anybody, I don't think. No, you didn't, because it was really, really apparent from the story when she's talking to her best mate and the way that she behaves when she just walks out and says, oh, it's work, because she's overheard what he's been saying. Yeah. You just get sort of Maggie overhearing a a conversation that Mark's having, so you kind of really don't know what wavelength he's on, but you take away that that assumption and that supposition from the story that that's what he's thinking about. And obviously Maggie's talking to a friend. I don't, you know, he don't want to use this and the bit, I'm going to dump his sorry arse was... So you could really <laughs> get from that just exactly what she thought about this, but she was having the weekend away anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but does that make her a bit of a gold digger? Because I think if she'd got the morals that she thought she had, she would have dumped him before the weekend if she thought that he was just going to take her away just to have a dirty weekend, you know. She was 100% conflicted, wasn't she? Because she was offended, highly offended, enough to dump him and disappointed at how shallow he was. But she still went. Yeah, and that's that's the bit I can't get my head round. I don't suppose I ever will, because people do do that anyway. They do things that that they're disappointed in doing, but they want to do it because there's an ulterior motive for them carrying it through. Yeah. So it was quite good. So it's got a lot of, a lot of, human conflict in there as well. Maybe she's not quite as unshallow as she likes to think she is. Maybe she just Maybe. really does fancy Mark and she'd like that dirty weekend away before she dumps him. Yeah, there you go. We'll leave that one there then. Let's have your reading of Dean's story. I haven't read it, so I'm going to just be reading it out blind. Do you know, preparation, preparation. Yeah, no, I know. I know it's not I know. in your vocab. <laughs> It's not in my vocab, no. But anyway, let's see what we think about Dean's story. Yes. They had to wait for the torrential rain. On their planet, life forms had evolved in an atmosphere heavily laden with water vapour, which would condense onto their bodies, washing away the bodily waste products that seep like pus 
from cysts erupting from the surface of their leathery skin. Normally it was neither painful nor considered ugly. It was simply the nature of their being. But certain things like alcohol and some foods could cause the process to be painful. But whichever viscosity the fluid being excreted out was, it still stunk to high heaven. The capsule caused a large crater as it landed with a thud into soggy soft ground. Inside the cabin, the crew was busily checking dials and measurements, attempting to determine when the window of opportunity would open and predict how long the adventurer had once outside. If the water vaporisation level became too low, their skin cysts became hard and would retain the poisons they excreted, quickly building up to levels which almost always resulted in instant death. This had been the fate of many of the historic adventurers whose portraits surrounded the middle of the craft, but the knowledge acquired during these failed attempts at first contact had allowed them to ascertain the limitations of their endeavour and the requirements for survival in the atmosphere of this strange blue planet. Their world, called Stobothoria, is less than half the size of Earth, but with a very deep ocean. By one of those strange cosmic quirks of fate, the distance of the planet from the star juxtaposed with the depth of the ocean and the force of the planet's gravity, ensuring the planet tottered on the edge of an equilibrium, where the evaporation rate of the ocean and the intensity of the rainfall allowed complicated life to evolve and flourish, albeit vastly different to the life that had evolved on Earth. A Stobothoria-wide lottery had been held for each mission, with the lucky winner offered the opportunity to go on a one-way trip to make first contact. Numerous attempts had already been made, every one of them a hero, and every attempt ending in failure, but much had been learnt along the way. Taisy Jeb was the lucky winner for this epic historic mission. It was fully expected that first contact would be accomplished on this voyage. Taisy Jeb with the Stobothorian expected to achieve immortality. Taisy Jeb steadied themselves. They had looked over the dials and measurements for an hour after the capsule had come to rest. All the calculation predictions had been made. They were ready and had the Earth equivalent of 15 minutes before their cyst openings hardened too much and the poisons killed them. First contact had to be made, Taisy Jeb determined to be the first one to do it. A previous mission had determined there were stone structures, the sides of which were far too perpendicular and angled to have been produced by natural causes. It was surmised that these structures were made by an intelligent alien life form, and by finding one of these structures, first contact would be made. The capsule had landed close to one of these structures, and analysis of the air suggested alien life forms were within. Taisy Jeb opened the door of the capsule and slipped outside. They took a deep breath of the air, and was pleased that the oxygen level was similar to that of Stobotheria. Climbing out of the pit proved to be more difficult than expected. Taisy Jeb was unable to get firm grip with their feet in order to give them a good push-up. This was frustrating as time was slipping away. Eventually, with a mighty push, Taisy Jeb managed to reach the edge of the pit and use their hand to help in their ascent. On reaching the top, Taisy Jeb stood up and looked around. Unfortunately, an unexpected difference in the thickness of the air and the viscosity of the raindrops caused their eyes to be unable to focus on anything and their vision was all a blur. Taisy Jeb was determined, however, and carried on with their mission regardless of the effects. 
it was imperative they had to make first contact. Taser Jeb reached out and touched an upright flat surface. This was definitely artificial. Following the flat surface by leaning against it, Taser Jeb was able to identify the direction of the mild smell and made slow progress towards it. They could feel their skin cyst openings beginning to harden and the poisons begin their work of intoxicating the body. Hold on for a few more steps, thought Taser Jeb. Suddenly Taser Jeb had a thought, one glimmer of hope. Perhaps the intelligent life forms they were close to making first contact with would have a cure for their predicament. Perhaps Taser Jeb would live. With this hope, Taser Jeb forged onwards and came to an opening to a sheltered artificial cave. Taser Jeb could hear noises inside, but inside was dry and far too dangerous for Stobotherian. But in order to make first contact, Taser Jeb just had to go in. Death was certain, but immortality would last forever. They entered the cave. Taser Jeb was in intense pain as their skin cysts quickly hardened and the poison started to overpower their body. But in the darkness, many pairs of eyes opened. Taser Jeb had done it. First contact between a Stobotherian and an Earthling had been achieved. A momentous occasion in the history of Stobotheria. Far, far away there were celebrations in the abodes of Stobotheria. There were Stobotherian-wide announcements. The name of Taser Jeb the Great Adventurer was written out in lights throughout every land. But Taser Jeb didn't see or hear any of it. They had fallen to the smelly, dirty ground, reaching out to the eyes coming towards them. Taser Jeb's final struggled words were, I, Taser Jeb of Stubatheria, come in peace. Take me to your lee. To which the reply was, oink, 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 as the pigs ripped apart and feasted on Stobatherian flesh. Well. I want to know what he'd been watching before he wrote it. I want to know what he'd been smoking. <laughs> Never mind what he'd been watching. And no smoke. I think he had a ghostwriter. He's got a great imagination there. Very difficult to pronounce. I hope I did it justice. <laughs> well done, Dean. I quite like that one. It's got a wicked ending to it. Who would have thought? Ripped a bit, sorry, by pigs. Oink, oink, oink. Did you say, though, they can eat anything? Best way to get rid of a body. I'm not so sure I like your reading matter. I am taken aback a little bit, if I'm honest, because it's so far removed from what he normally writes. Absolutely, and it's rather good as well. I like this, I like his style of writing on that. So much better than I think anything else he's ever submitted. Ever? You think this is his best one? I do think this is his best one, yeah. I do. I really do. His other ones have been really good. They've been a bit down to earth, but this one has taken his imagination to another level. I don't know if I've got a favourite of Dean's, but if I had to pick one, I think I'm going to go with the original, the one and only Kitty's story. Uh, I think that was was different. That in itself was in another league, but I think I'm talking about all the stuff that he's submitted. You see, Kitty's story, I I think in a, a different sort of category. That, it was, that it was, was the very, very first time we I ever remember. read any flash fiction out on the podcast, was. wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And it was really good. It was really touching and it was heartfelt. It was heartfelt. So, so that was... Yeah, and it did have the some rest, truth in it, didn't it? It did, yeah. And all the rest of the ones that he's written have been sort of fiction that he's made up. So, so on that note, I think this one is the best thing that I think he's written fiction-wise. Well, he'll be proper chuffed with that then. 
Yeah, well done, Dean. I'm, I like that one. Excellent. What we're going to read next? Well, we got one from Carolyn as well this week. I think we've been inundated, haven't we? <laughs> we have a little bit. We do like the one from Carolyn. I read that one and thought, ooh, that's different. Do you know what? Although the writing prompt has been Dirty Weekend, I don't think any one of the submissions that we've had in that have been on the top of our list have been an actual Dirty Weekend in the traditional sense of the words. That's good. Are you going to read Carolyn's out then for us now? Yeah, I'll do that. Leo was lying on his bed checking his phone for any sign of life outside of his bedroom. He was bored and needed some excitement in his life. He was old enough to go drinking and the pubs had reopened, but he was skint. There was a knock on his door, followed by his mother's tired voice calling in a questioning tone. Leo? Yeah? I'm off cleaning now. I want you to take the bag of laundry to Aunt Cass. Oh, Mum. This response made Pat open the door and show her angry face. Too busy, are you? I've got to sign on at ten. That's worked out well for your auntie. He's just round the corner from there. Can't I Phil take it? He's got a car. He's also got a job and a family. And don't empty the fridge. I don't get paid for two days. Now get up and make yourself useful. The lawn needs cutting. You're 19, not 12. Pat left the door open as if it would encourage the idleness to escape. Kath gave him three quid, so he called at the chippy. The girl who worked behind the counter was Kirsty Parker and Leo fancied her like crazy. He even blushed slightly if their hands touched when he paid his money. He took his food over to the park to eat as he was aware that his eating style was on the ugly side. His mother reminded him regularly and he didn't want Kirsty to see him ram a battered sausage in. The more he thought about Kirsty, the less he wanted his chips and threw them in the bin. He sat there on a bench, just staring down the park. He looked to his left and saw Kirsty leaving the chippy. She was in running gear. Then a car pulled up and a girl got out, also in lycra shorts and vest. They both looked at their watches and then started jogging towards the park. Leo felt like Billy no mates, so took out his phone, turned to the side and pretended to be talking to someone as they passed. They were breathlessly talking and laughing and what Leo heard made him upset and he wished he hadn't chucked his chips. Leo wasted away the afternoon avoiding home as he knew there were chores he should be doing. He sauntered to his brother's house for six and saw the car on the drive. He could hear his young nieces play screaming in the back garden. His brother Phil answered the door. Hello bro, come on in, what are you doing here? Just fed up. Leo was jealous of his brother. The house was always a happy zone. His wife Pam was lovely and the girls adored their daddy and the fridge was always full. Hiya Pam. Hello love, what's up? Lost your smile? Not much to smile about. Phil asked if he'd found a job. Leo scratched his unruly blonde head and pulled a face. No jobs about. Try looking a bit harder, Phil said. He loved his brother, but not his lack of trying. Pam was cooking and sipping wine. Phil got Leo a bottle of beer and wanted to know why Leo was down. Oh, it's just this girl, I fancy. Seems she's got a boyfriend. Anyone I know? Kirsty Parker works at the chippy. Pam said, oh, my sister's friend. Who's the boyfriend? Don't know. Well, how do you know she's got one? 
for last. Heard her talking to her mate about going running with a fella on a dirty weekend. There was a laugh from Pam. Phil and Leo looked at her. Is that what she said? Well, they were running past me quite close. I was on my phone. Pam laughed again. Oh, Leo, Kirsty and Lisa go fell running. They're training for the peak event. They call it the dirty weekend because they get covered in mud. Leo grinned and Phil laughed. <laughs> you knob. Two days later, Leo rang his brother. I've done it. I've got a date with Kirsty. Phil couldn't quite believe it and said, really? Yep. We already had a small date, just a cup of coffee this afternoon, and we're going out for a drink. Oh, she's so fit, Phil. Have you got any jobs I could do this weekend to earn a few quid to take her out? You could polish my car and mow the lawns. While Leo polished the car, Phil taunted him about his date. I can't believe you pulled Kirsty, punching above your weight there. Ha, well, you did all right with the lovely Pam and you're no George Clooney. How did you manage that? Charmed her. Leo stopped now and looked serious. I could do with a few tips. I've never been on a proper date before and I really like her. How did you charm Pam? To be honest, I looked a bit of poetry up, memorised a few lines. Like what? Uh, I said something like, Your beauty stems the hands of time when I look into your eyes. Time stands still. Wow. When Leo phoned Phil next, he sounded miserable. What's up? How did the date go? I don't know what went wrong. What happened? It was going great. We had a couple of drinks and were having a laugh. And then I ran out of words and felt a bit nervous. I'm so crazy about her. I didn't want to lose her. So I remembered what you said. I made myself all serious like and lowered my voice and said what you said. What did you say, Leo? I said all romantic like, Kirsty, you have the kind of face that would stop a clock. <laughs> then she slammed her drink down and stormed off. Oh, Leo, you knob. That's classic. I couldn't get through that last bit without sniggering. I don't worry. I don't, I don't blame you. It's really funny that. It's, it's typical. You get two brothers and the complete opposites and one's got the finesse and a nice life and a wife and sorts himself out. And then you've got the lazy one who thinks that everything should be handed to him on a plate. And then he tells a girl he likes that she's got a face that would stop a clock. <laughs> That's how particular me. is that. Yeah, that is funny. It's always the youngest one, isn't it, that's the one that like thinks the world owes them? Well, I don't know. Not always. I mean, I have read some stories. Remember, um, back to Flint, it was the elder brother. Oh, yeah, OK. For anyone that's just cottoned on to Bear Books, Flint was the very first book that we reviewed on Bear Books podcast way back on the first episode of season one by this author that wrote this it story. Was. It was, yeah. So she doesn't stick true to form. It is good. I like that. I love it. It's so well written. It is. And and to be honest, it's kind of a little bit true to life as well. Relatable. It's very relatable because that kind of thing happens all the time. It probably does, you know. People misunderstanding and thinking, yeah. oh, just I'll ad-lib this poetry. It's fine. I know what he meant. <laughs> That went well. Yeah, and it went really well, that, didn't it? <laughs> poor Leo. Yeah, poor Leo. Yeah. 
I wouldn't go so far as to call him what his brother called him, but poor Leo, bless him. Well, it wasn't going to go well, was it? It was never going to go well, was it, really? <laughs> I don't know why I thought it would. <laughs> I'd like to see the next instalment of this story, him trying to talk his way round of Kirsty to apologise. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. Do you reckon he'll ever go in the chip shop again? <laughs> Probably not. He'll probably never go in there again. He'll probably given up chips for life. Yeah. Yeah. Thank like, you so much, like Carolyn, that. for that. Yes, thank you, Carolyn. Right, so we've got my effort now. Yes, your effort. I'm going to put okay. my feet up and drink this cup of tea while you tell me a story. So this story that I've written is in its raw form because I've actually not had a chance to edit it. So it might read slightly differently when it hits the pages of the anthology. Amanda and Peter have been looking forward to this weekend for a long time. Over the last 18 months, no one had been able to get away. But for them, it had been April the 13th, 2019, since their last break. It wasn't for the want of trying, weekends booked and cancelled disappointments, tears and frustration. Before Covid, they had sometimes disagreed about when and where to go on weekends, but this time they were both in harmony as to the destination. The hotel was booked and paid for, plane tickets, passports, PCR tests booked and paid for, a small price to pay for the enjoyment that was coming their way. Amanda and Peter were at the airport early, a novelty for them, ready and waiting for their flights to Paris, the most romantic city in the world, what a fantastic place for a weekend away. Amanda had packed all the appropriate clothing, carefully planning every outfit for her and Peter, carefully chosen underwear, silky tops, tight-fitting bottoms, all her favourite clothing. Amanda's preference was for lots of light clothing. To her, there was nothing more satisfying than peeling off layer after layer. Shaking herself out of her daydreaming suddenly as Peter nudged her. Do you want a coffee and a sandwich? It's still two hours to our flight and I'm starving. Considering her options, Amanda asked for a glass of wine. Staring at Amanda lovingly, Peter replied, Are you sure? I don't want you to be asleep before tea time. We've been looking forward to this for a long time. Amanda gave in. She knew that Peter was so much more experienced than her at this. As soon as they reached the hotel, Amanda and Peter were straight into the swing of things. Meeting up with other like-minded friends, they had a fantastic evening but the anticipation of what was to come was mounting and Amanda was becoming more excited by the hour. On the way back from the bar, Peter and Amanda were discussing the participants. This was the only thing that they perhaps disagreed on, both preferring different male and female participants. They both had an animated sparkle in their eyes discussing their favourites and it made this weekend all the more special as it was the first time that the women had been able to actually participate and not be second-class citizens and just be part of the audience. Peter was all for Anna and Walter, but Amanda's favourites were Lizzie and Dylan. However, after an animated discussion, they agreed to disagree. Peter was up early on the Saturday morning, dressed and ready for action. He shook Amanda awake, desperate to be on their way for the action. The day didn't disappoint. Amanda was highly satisfied with Lizzie's performance, whereas Peter was disappointed, and Amanda couldn't resist teasing him all evening. What did you really expect, she said on more than one occasion, as she showed Peter the pictures of Lizzie in the shower afterwards. Sunday morning was a reversal of Saturday, with Amanda up and raring to go. 
Peter Notso as he expressed the fact that he hoped that today would bring more satisfaction for him than yesterday did. Amanda didn't care. She was still on a high from yesterday. They arrived at their destination. The venue wasn't open yet, so they hung around watching the action on the internet. It was hard for them to work out who was who. Most people were covered in mud, slipping and sliding all over the place. Different from yesterday, but all the more exciting of what was to come. Eventually, they were let into the venue and they didn't have long to wait for the action to come their way. But it wasn't who they thought it would be. The noise around them rose to a crescendo as the cyclists entered the velodrome. Kate from head to toe in mud. It was so hard to see who was who. The frantic sprint to the finish was won by Sonny. Neither Peter nor Amanda had predicted this. However, they were still excited at being part of a piece of history. The first ever edition of the Paris-Roubaix cycle ride for women and they were part of it. The hell of the north, muddy, wet, cake dirt on each and every cyclist, crashes at every turn, the wettest Paris-Roubaix in 19 years, possibly the dirtiest weekend of cycling racing that Peter and Amanda had ever seen. Well, I'm not what? sure if I'm disappointed or what. I spent the first half of that story expecting it to be full of swingers. We were having a mass dirty weekend. <laughs> <laughs> you were right, setting me up there, weren't you? Yeah, I was. I'm like, all these people. Ooh, they're picking more people to be with. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, is it going to be four of them? Is it going to be six of them? This is proper mucky. It was a bloody cycle race. I should have known, April Berry. You should have known, shouldn't you? Yeah. It's really funny, actually, because it's kind of a little bit based on truth for anybody that does watch cycling, um, because last weekend was the two Paris-Roubaix rides. Uh, the women have never, ever, ever had a Paris-Roubaix before, and it was the very first one last Saturday, and it was won by Lizzie Dignan, who's British. It was amazing, absolutely amazing. And then on the Sunday... Um, it had rained overnight, and of course, obviously, it's over parve, cobbles, etc. So it was just muddy, and everybody was slipping and sliding and crashing. And you couldn't really tell who was who from the front because they were just caked from head to foot in mud. Wow. The only, the only way you could tell who was who was when the, the cameras went to the back and you could read the numbers. So some of that was all based on truth as it well as the fiction based, aspect? It was based on truth, yes, because Lizzie Dignan won the women's race and Sonny Colbrelli won the men's. It was a little bit of fiction based on a little bit of truth, yeah. Yeah, I knew being you, you'd have been glued to every moment of that, wouldn't oh, you? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Last Saturday and Sunday, I did absolutely nothing from 10 o'clock in the morning until 5 o'clock at night. I just sat and watched the telly with a mate. No surprise there. No. I thought, hmm, that'll make a good story. Because I've oh, never yeah. seen cyclists that dirty. Yeah, because you are teasing everybody throughout the first half of the story. And then it's all about cycling, as it would be for you. But for a first draft, I think that's still really, really good. Thank Can't you wait much. to read the polished version. I will polish it up, yes, and make it uh, fit for the anthology. Fantastic. So we've had four fantastic stories. Even your unpolished one was hilarious. So thank, thank you, you again also to Dean and Carolyn for sending in their submissions for us and to everybody else that sends in submissions as well. We do enjoy reading everybody's stories. So thank you, everybody. 
I love digging into the depths of people's imaginations and this podcast is just ideal for that. I'm really curious about people and, and that, how they tick, really. I think that's just code for I am really nosy and I want to know I've, everything about everybody. Of course it is code for I'm nosy. How long have you known me? <laughs> way too long. Way too long. Way too A long, long, long time. So, next episode is back to our book reviews and in my own brilliant inimitable style last time i read the wrong book that's the second time i've done that on this podcast anyway apologies to alison morton whose book i was supposed to be reading for the last one but i'm going to be reading her book double identity for the review for the next podcast and what about you daisy what are you reading well actually I have a bit of an apology to make because I've swapped the book that I am reading also. Not by mistake like you did, though. <laughs> I was set to read and review Hunter's Secret by Val Penny. And I did actually okay. start reading it and I got into the third chapter, I would say. And me and the writing style, we weren't besties. So I kind of gave up on it. So apologies if you were waiting for a review. For that, but instead, I have decided to read and review The Headmistress by Melina McKay. It's um, okay. lesbian fiction, and I'll give you a little bit of a synopsis because we've never talked about it before and we had talked about all of the others. A teaser of one paragraph, that's all you're getting. So, this book is about a chance encounter, an unforgettable night. And back home, trouble is brewing on the remote island of three dragons where nothing feels like it's used to. Alone and lonely, Sam Threadneedle wishes upon a star, hoping for change. But when said change comes, it's with a roar and not a whimper. Oh, wow. Interesting. Do you know, I've got to say that I don't know. I mean, I've known you a long time and you are, you've always been a bookworm. I don't think I've ever known you to put a book down without finishing it. A big part of my personality is that I love a story. Whether yeah, that do. story comes in book form, audio form, or somebody well, just having a chit-chat and it's like a natural story of somebody's life, I just love a story. And I, you are right, I do like to have it from beginning to end. I don't like to give up on a story before I know what happens. That is very true. You do like stories, because if we didn't edit this podcast, it'd be five hours long. <laughs> but everybody would know everything about our lives. That's not good. They would, that's true. I'm looking forward, though, to reading uh, Double Identity Alice by Alison Morton. I think it's, it's kind of my type of book. Um, What's it about? Give us a quickie. Oh, you always put me on the spot, don't you? Right, so Double Identity by Alison Morton. It's about a chic Parisian lifestyle that the lead character was living now she's facing prison for murder she was a, an intelligence analyst with the french special forces about to marry her fiance but a dream turns to nightmares when she wakes up to find him dead in bed beside her oh my god i like wow. that kind of book the the, the write-ups that i've seen and the reviews that i've read about it are really really complimentary yeah looking forward to it very much Excellent. We're going to have a really good episode on the next one. And I do love doing the reviews. They are good. They are good. And I'm going to say goodbye and go and start reading it.
<laughs> You're eager. I am eager, actually, yes. Take care, everybody. We'll see you on the next episode. Yep, see you in the next episode. Bye. Thank you for joining us. Now you've had a listen, why not pop over and join us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Or if you want to send in your stories, email us at submissions at bearbooks.co.uk. Bye.